Welcome to episode 120 of Drew's Sports Crew here on this Sunday night. Myself, Drew Skyberg, bringing you the news here in the Wisconsin sports world. And look, we just had quite the week of Wisconsin sports, right? Going right away to the NBA draft. We had the Milwaukee Bucks make two selections and two signings. I'll discuss those four transactions here to start the episode. And then we're going to go right away to week. Well, I mean, we're going to talk actually preview week 14. Yeah. Week 14 already of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. We'll also do a slight, re, you know, a small recap there on week 13, capping off the win. I did predict here on Sunday and, I, you know, I can say I, right? I mean, it was on the prediction challenge, of course, but, you know, predicted or not, it was a win that was much needed for the Milwaukee Brewers. And we'll talk through that and just give some general thoughts in the draft as well. But again, episode 120 here and announcement wise at your sports crew, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Right, find all of your content there, Drew Sports Crew on YouTube if you're watching there, or at Drew Sports Crew on Twitch, and then um, also schedule wise this week, I right, like to highlight that. So this is coming out here um, Sunday night or Monday morning, whenever you're listening. But then Wednesday at four, roughly 4:20 p.m. or so Central Time, uh, we'll have an episode of Journey Million live, and this week, um, Journey Million Squad. Um, Jared is cheering on the Brewers. So during this prediction challenge, as I'm talking about it, he'll be cheering on the Milwaukee Brewers in New York as they face the Mets. So he'll be gone. And uh, Zach will be alongside myself and Bernie Vanden Heuvel. We'll be bringing him back on. Always fun to have him. It's like a Packer theme show, you know, at that point sometimes, which which is uh, fun to see. Of course, it's still, you know, we still stick to the journey a million. We still talk our futures and, we talk through our games and whatnot, and we'll be doing that. You know, it's a classic episode of Journey to the Million on Wednesday, as always, just with three Packer fans. So that will be on Wednesday, 4:20 p.m. Central, and then right Saturday morning, bright and early, I'll be previewing a slate of right Major League Baseball. We'll do our DFS stuff. That'll be on Saturday. So that's your schedule this week, nice and balanced, as we we've kept it. This this on Sunday, Monday, Journey Million on a Wednesday, but this week with Bernie, so three Packer fans, and then Saturday we'll be having the betting show. So let's get let's get into the episode now here. Um, that that was the announcement side here. Let's go right away to the NBA draft. Took place on Thursday. Again, this was in was in Brook, Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, and I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I was just thinking my general takeaway on the draft, like. Other than those first few picks for the draft, it just for me personally, I just feel the draft is just losing like popularity to watch, especially the NBA one. Let me, let me just preface by saying that the NBA draft for me, um, I, you know, it's like the All Star Game to an ex- not really like the All Star Game where the, there's different issues, but rather like the loss of popularity is what I find interesting. Right? I, we knew Wembenyama was going one. Um, we saw. Um, I mean, we we just saw on Twitter, right? A lot of the draft picks uh, being spoiled, right? I mean, I knew I was watching watching the draft, right? When when we were on pick four, I knew who was going at six at some point. I knew I knew Anthony Black was going at six, 
and I knew I already knew the other Thompson brother um, got drafted, and so it's like, you know, for me that that was interesting to see. You know, like, and it's like that every year usually, but this year it just felt it was like okay, I, I just started getting sick of it. Where I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. I'll see who got drafted in the morning. You know, and that was like midway through, and um, for me, you know, the Bucks had later picks, so ended up being you know something where I would I, I went back and watched because you know the Bucks parts because I want to see how that went down. But uh, we knew Wembenyama going at one, you know, and um, myself and Jared also have a similar take where I I think Scoot Henderson um, at three is a you know the Trailblazers got to steal. I think. You know, without Wembenyama in the chart, I think he's number one overall pick. You know, any other year, um, I think that's kind of the talent I, I see out of Henderson. Uh, I certainly would have taken him over Brandon Miller. Um, I think that was an interesting selection. It, you know, and that came down to more of team fit. I don't know in the NBA draft how much you value team fit, right? Especially in a day and age where trading at stars is a you know is something that's a regular, right? It's a usual thing now these days. So. Um, I don't know. I would have won Henderson all the way. Um, but you know, credit or credits do Brandon Miller still is, has a lot of upside there and he goes to Charlotte. It's a good fit. Um, nonetheless, um, and the Thompson brothers go four and five back to back there. Um, and then my other big takeaway, like that was non bucks related. Um, right. I mean, we saw Cam Whitmore fall, from where he was often mocked in the top 10, you know, let alone five through seven, maybe. Um, some had him going to the Rockets at four, even. Uh, he, he goes at 20 to the Rockets. I mean, they get him, they end up getting him at 20. I found that, that to be incredible value. Um, that was probably the fall. I mean, he was the follower of the draft uh, for NFL terms. He, he felt he felt like he was the Will Levis of this draft, you know, a guy who we had up in there, but like, you know, it just depended on how some guys went. And yeah, it just worked out in that case. Um, it was cool to see Omax prosper, right? Olivier Maxon's prosper of Marquette go 24th overall by the Kings, then traded right away to Dallas. So congratulations to Omax Marquette player there um, being drafted. So anyways, the Bucks, their selections, none in the first round, right? The Bucks, what happened was, so pick 36 comes along and, and there are some talks, you know, like um, if you're on Twitter or whatnot, there's talks that the bucks were going to, they had aspirations to move up to the twenties. It, it sounded more late twenties and thirties to, to trade up and get their guy. And in this case, their guy must've been here, Andre Jackson jr. And what happens is John horse, right? I mean, there no not many talk about it, but, um, John Hammond, the GM before John Horst, um, there's there's some relationship there, right? Former Bucks, right? And now he's president of basketball operations, I believe, with uh, with Orlando, and you know, like there, there's some sort of relationship there between the two franchises in the front office side. So you know, with Magic, good fit there. Uh, end up trading a twenty thirty second and cash considerations, get this pick. You get Andre Jackson Jr., and you get him at 36. Then we go later in the draft, which, and then at pick 50 at the last pick, 
Chris Livingston of Kentucky goes. Um, now to talk about each player respectively. Uh, starting again with Andre Jackson, right? I'm a I'm a Marquette fan. We talked about Big East basketball. You know, I think Big East basketball. I think a big thing about like like the players that come out of the Big East that go to the NBA. Um, you know, they might not be the most skilled players, right? I mean, I'm not like when I'm saying skilled, like there's some great Jalen Brunson. There's some guys, you know, but like what they do is they bring like in terms of coaching, you know, like being coachable, right? I think these guys are, you know, like they are the character of some of these players. You know, I, I think it's just something that we've noticed out of these players. I, I believe even NBA coaches have talked about kind of that, that idea as well. So that's where I see like Kobe Jones go 34 to Xavier, you know, Xavier to Charlotte, you know, um, and then even talking about Andre Jackson. I think Jackson's a guy who kind of portrays that too. Like, you know, watching in games, you know, he, he wasn't this guy who'd make these big offensive plays. You know, he wasn't like this guy that just like Jordan Hawkins, for example, or Adama Sinogo, these, these guys who, you know, could score at ease and were, were really, you know, difference makers on offense. But, but Jackson was that guy, you know, he was, he was the reliable guy, you know, whether it was defense, putting up great possessions, um, or just making a great extra pass and whatnot. He, he did what was, oh, you know, he would make the right plays. Is something I think for players, especially, you know, for me, when I think like fantasy basketball, it's often tough to put two and two together because a guy like Jackson is, might not be fantasy relevant, you know, with what he does, but as a basketball player, yeah, you want him on your team. Like he's a guy you want to coach. And I think, I think that's what makes, you know, Adrian Griffin, go for a guy like this too. I think there's, there was some say there and then new coaching staff too. Uh, under the Boonholes, um staff. I don't think Jackson's drafted, you know, he, he would not fit this system. Career three point shooter under 30% in college uh, is not going to fit the system. And right. Three point shooter is not a strength of Jackson jr. But, but what is, is, you know, being able to make the right play. Right. Uh, and I think that that kind of was, what was the decision maker here for Milwaukee taking Jackson Jr. at 36? Love the pick. Um, think they got really good value on him. Um, I had him, you know, I, I thought he would be more of a late first, you know, like he'd be going there or like 31 through 33 range. Um, but I ended up coming down somewhat to team fit, some trades that were in there. Uh, ended up working out for Milwaukee, getting him there. And then Chris Livingston, this is more of an interesting one. Um, you know, and he's a guy who we think G League is probably going to be a spot for him to start, along with the other two guys signed, undrafted sign signings. Uh, Livingston's a guy who, you know, it, it felt he almost went into the draft a year early, right? Um, I think next year, right? If you would have played out a year at Kentucky, right? Especially with getting getting that kind of opportunity and volume there, he, where do we think his stock could have risen? You know, um. A guy like Livingston, right, six, 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 seven. Who knows? I mean, he certainly could have came, you know, first round potentially, depending on performance, right? So I think the Bucks got, you know, him at a value just solely because of that. I'm, I'm wondering, and and he's one of those guys who had, you know, like I believe he's like McDonald's All American, right? Those high school accolades, but year one in college, um, not a lot of opportunity, right, with Kentucky. Year one goes to the draft early, ends up 
paying off as it was a surprise too. Rich Paul or his agent, right, was calling teams and letting him know that he had like don't draft this guy. He's got a spot for him at fifty. Like he has a spot with a team at the end of the draft. So I'm still wondering about how that transpired. Um, there, there was talks about this all over social media, and it was like, wow, you know, like the, the that can happen in this day and age. So. I wish I had more on that, but that's just a story that's fascinating. An agent calling teams to not draft this guy, especially in this day and age. So Livingston, and it's interesting to see how he comes with this team. But um, we remember, right, the guy the Bucks drafted two, a few years ago, right, Yorgios, right? Um, um, and just talking about that, um, what's his name? I don't know if it's bothering me. Yorgios Kalidzakis, maybe? Um, I gotta I gotta look that one up. I'm just thinking about it now. His name was Yorgios Kalidzakis. Wow, Kalidzakis. I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but like talking about him, uh, he was the 60th overall pick in 2021, similar, and he ended up getting waived, I believe. So, um. Just kind of the the talk from that is like he wasn't really like that like that was something that never really worked out, and he ended up being on the team there to right, save the team right being over the cap and saving some money on the like going over the cap the salary tax right the cap space luxury tax. So I wonder if that's something that you know could be with Livingston, but I feel like Livingston. Uh, there might be some more upside there, just kind of with how his career has progressed so far, being young um, and whatnot. So I don't think that's the case, but we have to note that this has happened with the Bucks before, two years ago, let alone. Um, so these those two picks I'm, I'm intrigued about. And then there's two signings who I think these guys are going to be G League, uh, be on the G League squad. Uh, the first one, Drew Timmy, right? I mean, that's a guy who we all know. We all know and love, right? Gonzaga legend. Right, he is going to be a Milwaukee Buck. You know, if he is going to be with those Scots and Herd, we got to go to Oshkosh. We have to go to the Oshkosh Arena, watch some games there. That's going to be that's going to be electric if that's the case. I'll tell you that. Um, but right, we know about Timmy. Um, athleticism is the question. Defense is the question. We know this guy can score. Off, you know, not offense necessarily the question, but scoring at the NBA level um, in terms of shooting and whatnot. There are some question marks there. And then we go. All right, Amari Moore is the other one who gets or goes, right? And he's from San Jose State, I believe. And talking about or what he's done, yeah, San Jose State. You know, he's Mountain West Player of the Year this past year. And he was first team, all Mountain West, whatnot. Um, and another guy they get, 6'6", six, six is the height on this guy. Like, they drafted they drafted guys 6'6", six, six or taller, I believe, and – um, Livingston measurements were six 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 seven, depending where you're looking. Uh, so it's in, it's interesting to see kind of the the way they're going, right? It's almost. I just think of the Jason Kidd days with this Buck squad, right? Jackson at six six. Think about the length they had, and not to say that they haven't had that in the past years. They certainly have, but I just think with those Jason Kidd squads, sometimes that was the like most astonishing thing was. You know, this team, like, they have some guys who, like, the wingspans, they are long. So, um, I found that interesting. And, you know, I think Moore and um, Timmy, like, these guys are going to be on the Summer League squad. 
along with Jackson Jr. and Livingston. And I think this year for the Milwaukee Bucks, right, not having like a first round pick and whatnot, but I think watching Summer League is going to show us a lot for this Bucks squad. I, I, you know, a new new coaching system, new staff, new assistants. Um, right, Charles Lee's even gone, right? He's with Boston. That was the top assistant, Boonholzer's top assistant. Like, this is a relatively, you know, like, this is a new change. I mean, we haven't had this type of change, like this drastic change in a while here for the Bucks. Is you know, it's been four or five years now. Um, so if you like it or not, we're going to be in for something brand new. So I think watching summer league is going to be a big thing. I also think just seeing what happens with Middleton declining his player option. I think he resigns, but things can happen. And I don't know where this is, where it's going necessarily. Lopez could leave, which would be a huge loss for the bucks. Um, but yeah, we haven't had, right, we still have some time for free agency uh, kicks off, but quite the draft and, yeah, you know, for me, draft grade. You want me grade the Bucks draft? I'll give it a B plus. Um, reason right now, this perfect A is because you know they didn't have like they didn't have those top selections, which you can kind of fault them for. But um, I think they made the most of with what their picks were, uh, and I'm intrigued to see kind of how that goes. I'm just I'm also skeptical with like the Livingston selection. I like the you know it's the last pick of the draft, so you know there's not much to expect. Uh, but I think a B plus in terms of I like the selections they made, where you know I feel like Jackson Jr. was probably the best pick in that spot where they were. But I'm just yeah you know, I'm optimistic, but at the same time I think a B plus is a fair grade. It's kind of where I'm at. So that's what I had in the draft. Uh, fun draft, you know. Like I think the first right, I said the draft, fun draft in terms of the first 10, 15 picks, but the other half I. I find myself losing, you know, like losing interest in, in watching the whole NBA draft as we would for the NFL draft. So like the question I, I pose is, you know, I pose to people is, are we starting to feel like the NBA draft is more like the MLB draft than the NFL draft? You know, there's not a lot of these big trades, big blockbusters, right? We see that with the, we saw Swift go on draft night in the NFL. We saw, you know, we, we saw the, the Texans make a you know, crazy trade there with the Cardinals. All I'm saying is I, you know, my draft spiel is that I think the NBA draft is getting closer to the MLB draft in terms of not as much excitement throughout the draft compared to the NFL draft. The NFL draft, I think is the best draft to watch live the whole, you know, not the whole thing, but like the whole first round, like the first, like that opening night, you should watch that, that draft the NBA draft. You know, I'm at the point where I think you you could just watch the first 10, 15 picks and get away with it. You know, and that, that that's all you need to watch. And then the MLB draft, we know it's just a draft that you can't watch. You know, like, I mean, you can watch an MLB network, but you don't watch it. You know, like there's you, – you you see the guys that when maybe you look at the first three to ten overall picks and then you look at who your team got and maybe look a little bit more about them. Okay, that's my draft rant. If you agree with me, let me know. That, that's kind of where I'm at, though. And with that, I want to transition here, right? From Bucks to Brewers, let's let's switch to sports here, too. So we're going to go to baseball here, talk about what is going on with Milwaukee Brewers. They win the series in Cleveland against the Guardians. So we'd love to see that. But 
look, the Diamondbacks prove they are a top team in baseball. Power rankings that come out Tuesday will show you that um, for sure. Just based on how they performed, look, um, it's tough for the Brewers. I mean, they they almost got swept against Arizona. Uh, Burns didn't have it. Didn't have anything going Monday. And then I'm at the game Tuesday. They come back. You know, they they came back for us. Thankfully, I think Jared was also at that game too. I've been just running into him at games. <laughs> and then Wednesday, um, they they lose that day game, and it was like okay. Colin Ray pitches Tuesday. Getting one with him, that's great. But losing Wednesday's tough uh, with Tehran too. Um, it's just been it's that's the season. It's been just pitching and offense. Brewers only allow three hits. They give up five runs on nine hits. Also, they face Zach Gallon. I don't think any. I don't think anyone had them winning that game, unfortunately. But again, Tehran pitches well. Again. It's just like, what do the Brewers do? I mean, offensively, they are um, they are one of the worst offenses in baseball. You know, we can we got to accept that. You know, they score. They put up seven runs then on Friday, of course, against the Guardians, against Shane Beamer, Bieber, of course. Willie Adamas has probably my favorite home run of the season. His three-run home run, right? His first home run of that game, he had two home runs. His three-run home run on Friday. June 23rd. If you have not watched it, I'd recommend go watching it. Hanging slider. Just pokes it left field line. I say pokes it like he he crushed it. It kept rolling and rolling. They win that one 7-1 on Saturday. They lose 4-2. Or 7-1 on Friday. They lose 4-2 on Saturday. Right? And then they win 5-4 on Sunday with Burns pitching. Although Burns kind of lost his sharpness there in an inning and fortunately had to get taken out there. Um, but they come through five to four. They win that one in extras. Right, so that was good to see. And really happy with that win on here Sunday. This was a much, much needed win for this Brewers squad. But it just feels the offense is still just struggling. I mean, like, just watching it. Yeah, Julio Tehran's, you know, if I do our weekly war thing that we've been doing. Julio Tehran and Wade Miley are your top two pitchers in war. And when I, also, they are number two and three, respectively. Uh, Christian Yelich leads the team with 1.9 war. Julio Tehran, 1.4. And then Wade Miley with 1.3. And in terms of war, it might be crazy for me to tell you this, but terms of war christian yelch's contract i mean the pace he's on like he's on pace to like make that contract look like a value that for like this year's salary alone which i find astonishing because you know like just based on the number of wins he's gonna probably he's probably on pace for like a four to five win season which you know they usually say i i I believe it was around six million dollars is usually what a, a one war should cost and he's gonna exceed that, right? He's not getting paid thirty or thirty million at least this year on his contract. So he's gonna actually exceed that value, which I find I find interesting. You know, based on like kind of the rap we've given him. He's hitting the ball, you know, and he's been hitting the ball hard. That that wasn't the issue, but he's putting the ball in the air and hitting it hard. OPS at seven ninety. Um the slug right now is at four twenty eight. That's one of the highest he's had since he leads the team right now in slugging percentage. 
nine home runs, 17 steals already. I mean, he's going to be an all-star. El Trilby, um, a reserve, but he'll be an all-star, which is crazy to think about. Um, other guys offensively, I don't know where to go. Winker still doesn't have it. 192. Rowdy, 216 average. You know, I'm not going to just throw batting average at you. Let's throw let's throw OPS+. Plus. Jesse Winker, 54 OPS+. Plus. So he is way below league average is what that tells you. Willie Thomas, 88 OPS+. Plus. Rowdy Tullis, 88 OPS+. Plus. All these guys are batting below league average. Even Brian Anderson, 95 below league average. Um only two guys above league average. You got some William Contreras and Christian Yelich. So this, that's the issue we're having right now. Um, and actually, technically, Blake Perkins is, but small sample size. He's also getting picked off right, twice. He gets on the base paths. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm one, this team's got to make a move. Um, you know, I'm going to say Andrew Andrew Monasterio. He played well those that first week and a half after being called up, but. Too many mistakes. I mean, he, he's, I think he's the next guy who moves once we have, um, once we have a transaction take place. I think when Taylor comes back, you know, I'm not sure how the infield would move around, but maybe Brousseau comes back up. Um, but Monasterio is not working right now, unfortunately. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a move. Maybe even that yeah, terrain comes back. Um, it's not working out. Um, Perkins has been okay, uh, but Winker, honestly, it's it's almost time for him to go back down uh, to AAA. I don't know what's wrong with him. He can't hit the ball, you know, and if it's injury, he was dealing with some neck issues. You know, it could be, but he's got to go back, go back in the IL. Then we need him. We need him 100% for this team to perform where we hope they should perform, right? So that's just been the thing to monitor. Uh, for me is another thing was, how Piams has like solidified himself as the setup man. So a takeaway that we had was before the year, Peter Strzelecki was the setup guy. He we came in the year it was like, yeah, Strzelecki might be that guy. Eight guy and and the, the guy in the eighth and had the role for the first month, pitched well. He's kind of fallen fallen off. He's faltered. You know, ERA plus now below average. And then just even the FIP and whatnot is kind of high, and they move him out of the role. Put him Piams, insert him into the role, insert even Elvis Pagaro. These guys in the leverage roles now. Pagaro, ERA, right? It's three, but looking at ERA plus and just other indicators, he's he's done well. Pagaro again pitches the tenth today, does a great job, and then Piams moves himself. He's your setup man for the Brewers. If you had that on your bingo card, you know, to start the year, kudos to you. Uh, that was not thing. Suspected by many, including myself. Holby Milner slots himself in, you know, as that lefty specialist. You know, it feels like he's kind of taking that pseudo role, but he, but like that high leverage role there and not having a lefty closer anymore. Miller's done a great job. You know, I, we give this bullpen a bad rap, but if you look at the numbers, Piams has been good. Milner's been good. Wilson has been good. Williams has been good. Pagaro's been good. There's five guys right there. So it's like he's been okay. So. All I'm saying is this is this is a top twelve bullpen in baseball. Yeah, it's it's a top twelve bullpen in baseball, and that's something the Brewers have going for them. This rotation, although it doesn't have the big names, has been okay. But 
this offense being, you know, like, okay, you have average pitching, above average bullpen, and a below average offense, it's not a good combo. And that's where this Brewers team sitting just a few games over 500 definitely is accurate. Now, was it a, a half game out of first place to the Reds? Um, we'll talk here through standings shortly. But, you know, that's kind of what I've been monitoring is you know, how does this team kind of match up before the All-Star game? They're a half game back of the Reds again. Run differential minus 21, although they're 40 and 37. So um, they're the same record as the Philadelphia Phillies. And right, the Mets have been struggling, the 35 and 42 Mets, who they will be facing a four-game set on this long 10-game road trip. So 6-10 on Monday, 6-10 on Tuesday, 6-10 on Wednesday, and then 6-10 on Thursday. They keep it nice and easy. All games are on Bally Sports, um, and right, some of them are LB Network out of market only. But then we go from that Thursday 6-10 game to Friday 6:05 at Pittsburgh to play the Pirates. And guess where it is? Apple TV Friday. They get it again with Pittsburgh. So that is your treat. You get to watch them there. 3:05 on Saturday. It's Bally Sports. Don't worry. And 12:35 on Sunday. There you go. We're almost to the All-Star break. I'm serious. It's a, It turns July, and All-Star break seems early this year. July 11th is your All-Star game. We're already almost there. So, um, a few weeks away, and with that, right, the Brewers, uh, I say, I think Yelch and Williams are your two All-Stars. I'm, I'm predicting two now. Maybe Contreras. Contreras really hasn't gotten the support I thought he would get. So, that's where I'm at. But prediction-wise, I have the Brewers going four and three. How that ends up working out is just um, how the rotations line up today or this week. Uh, well, the Brewers face Verlander on Monday. They face Scherzer on Thursday. Both of them pitching better as of late. They get David Peterson on Tuesday. It looks like, and that's going to be that's a pretty favorable matchup. Although a lefty, I like the Brewers in that one Tuesday. And then just also how the bullpen or the, how the rotation lines up. Ray on Monday against the Mets. Don't really like that matchup. How you know how Ray's looked as of late, and then just kind of mapping it out there um, with Tehran on Tuesday. You know, um, I, I like I like Tehran in this case. I like how Miley's pitched on Wednesday, and then I'm waiting to see kind of Burns is going Thursday or Friday. But I do have the Brewers winning then on just kind of how that the rotation matches out for both squads. I do have the Brewers taking two out of three from Pittsburgh, the struggling Pirates as well. So I like the Brewers. That. I almost had the Brewers out of sweep. It's just I felt that matchup on Friday. Um, I was just a little skeptical there. So that's kind of made me um, who the Pirates could potentially go on bringing out. Um, Plus, like, not having a lot of rest days. I'm worried about the bullpen there on Friday, too. That, that's another factor is, you know, is there gonna, like, what guys are going to be getting work? So I have the Brewers potentially, I have them losing Thursday, but at the same time, um, I wonder if Williams might pitch, you know, how much he's going to be pitching and whatnot. That also impacts because we know bullpen hugely, you know, it's a huge part of the game. So that's where I'm at prediction-wise, 4-3 and three for Week 14. And that's going to wrap it up here. For episode 120 of Drew Sports Crew. I already made the announcements, but at Drew Sports Crew, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and hope you all have a great week. And thank you all for here for listening to another episode 
of Drew Sports Crew, the perfect podcast for you.